Welcome to Real 45 with Stefan and Greg Hancock. We vibe out and have real talk, so tune in and check this out. Yeah, today is a new day. Let's seize it now and get hype. We talking about our careers, our family, and just life. Yeah, share my story with you. Inspiration like every day. Real 45, we gon' keep it live. I keep episodes on replay. Hey, Real 45. Yeah, Real 45. Show them how we do it, man. Yeah. We're doing it. Hey, welcome to Real 45. This is our 12th episode. I'm Greg Hancock here with Stefan Janelle. And before we get started, we want to throw a little shout out and a thank you to our friends at Titans of Dirt, who have recently partnered up, partnered up with us and uh, have really been sharing the, the podcast quite a bit. So be sure to check out their, their webpage, their Facebook page, Titans of Dirt, and they've got some rad projects coming up in 2018 with some clothing and all sorts of stuff. So keep an eye out for them. Today's a big day for us. We have a very well-respected guy for numerous reasons and a, also a, a good friend of mine now too, Mr. Joe Parsons. His, uh, he's more, more widely known as Monster Joe in the world. So Joe, welcome to Real 45 and good to see you, man. Haven't seen you for a while. Yeah, it's, it's good to be here. Good to be here in California, Orange County. Costa Mesa, hanging out at the Hancock House. It's looking uh, very, very awesome outside. Got a nice big patio setting, clear windows, clear skies. I mean, you can hear the jets in the background from Orange County Airport. Yeah, it's a beautiful day. It uh, brings back a lot of memories. Dude, you just set the theme. Like, you hit it all right there. The, the airplane's in the background. The windows are clean, not because I cleaned them, but... <laughs> That's, uh, I got a great wife, <laughs> but yeah, dude, you just literally just flew in, flew in on new year's day and you yeah, I caught a, uh, caught a flight, spent, spent new year's at home with, uh, with my, my lovely wife, Daria and, uh, and Adam for our first, uh, new year's together in our house. And, uh, actually my first time, you know, living in Poland now since 2013, uh, it's my first new year's to spend in Poland. I've never spent New Year's night in Poland. Uh, in fact, it's only been the second year I've spent New Year's with Daria uh, because normally at this time of the year, uh, I'm traveling to Dakar. Um, it normally starts on the 2nd of January, uh, but because it's starting on the 6th of January, it actually gave me an extra couple of days uh, to, to, to stay in Europe before I actually made my way this way. Cool. So it was cool, but man, what a war zone, New Year's Eve in Poland, Jesus. <laughs> Fireworks. We thought we loved our fireworks. Holy moly. I mean, they're shooting off from every imaginable farm. You can imagine every flat floor. It just looks like a war zone. Like, wow. Le- big time. Pop, 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 pop. Yeah. Everywhere you looked, there was a display of arsenal, you know, just kicking off. See, that's the beauty over there, too. So you guys, you know, like in Poland, you've got winter over there. <laughs> Southern California doesn't have winter. So you got winter, you got wet grounds, and you got a lot of farmland and stuff around your area, too. So they can fire off and not have to worry about a fire. Oh, I don't, think, uh, I don't think those elements were of concern. <laughs> <laughs> they had some sort of, uh, yeah. It was going to be lit, and it's going to go and make boom. <laughs> <laughs> Whether it's dry, wet, snowing, windy, don't matter. It's going off. It's, it's going, going off. And I got a big bucket full of them to back that one up. <laughs> <laughs> how, how much fireworks did you buy? Uh, actually, I, I lit four sparklers. Four? Yeah. Oh, you went, you went large. Yeah, yeah. Me and Daria really did the really the simplicity thing. 
the Christmas tree, uh, Christmas lights on the house were just uh, laser driven. You know, it takes five minutes to plug them in. Uh, instantly, boom, there you go. There's Disneyland for you. We got it. Yeah. And so then we just it, we enjoyed New Year's. With is, is there two a- sparklers uh, that we lit uh, uh, that burned for not too long? And then uh, we enjoyed a nice bottle of Dom Perignon in the jacuzzi. Oh, beautiful. <laughs> why would you need any of your own fireworks anyway? Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah. We just walked out on the patio and it was lit up like a light bulb. It was like, woohoo. You know? That's cool. Do, do, do they have like a special tradition in Poland like we have uh, at when when the clock turns to 12? Mm-hmm. Like in Spain, they have the 12 grapes, I think. And here they have this nearest bowl that. I'm sure there is. And uh, my wife would probably be upset if there is, and I don't really know about it. Um, But I I would imagine that there is, like in every country, some kind of tradition. Um, We obviously, we toasted, we stayed up. We called her her brother. We called her mother and father. uh, And just kind of kept it low-key. That's right. So you guys had New Year's on your own. Just Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, We didn't go out. We we stayed up to midnight. We actually watched uh, on Netflix Dave Chappelle. Oh, <laughs> yeah. And Daria never knew who he was. So that was kind of cool. Actually, yes. uh, and then we watched him, uh, 1980, uh, live Richard Pryor from Long Beach. Nice. <laughs> nice. <laughs> You're definitely get, bringing her into the American, uh, yeah. <laughs> the yeah. American history. And, uh, and probably we're, we're in bed by one o'clock. Uh, and then, you know, got up in the morning, had breakfast and then, uh, hopped in the car and drove to Warsaw and then, Flew from Warsaw to here, arrived here last night about 8.30 at night. And by the time I think I got to my mom and dad's, it was closer to midnight. Dang. That's a heck of a trip. Yeah, it's not so bad, you know. I mean. No, but I mean, you land and like you said, then you got to go pick up your car and then you got to drive. Did you, you flew to L.A., right? I flew into L.A., had someone pick me up, drive me to Lake Elsinore, grabbed my truck from Lake Elsinore and then drove up to Garden Grove. And then, Dang. You know, I think That's I got home at midnight. But it was good. It was fine. I, I slept for six or seven of the 12 hour flight, oh. had a good meal, watched a couple, you know, uh, I watched Chips, the movie. Yeah. How was it? <laughs> was Bruce on there? No, Bruce wasn't on there. <laughs> no. But uh, it is kind of funny. Uh, and then uh, I think I watched three episodes of Big Bang Theory. Right. <laughs> so the Chips, the movie, how was that compared to the series? Was it? Uh, nothing, nothing like it. Uh Pretty funny, though, in a way, I guess, you know, yeah. considering the environment and where I was at, it, it worked. Right. <laughs> you know? <laughs> no, that's perfect. That's good. But anyway, you're here. You're in California for yeah. a short time, and then you're headed off to, to Dakar. Yeah, I'm here for just for, for pretty much the duration of the day. Right. Uh, and then leave tomorrow out of LAX at about 1.30. Uh, fly direct into Lima, Peru. It's about eight and a half hour flight. Arrive into Lima just after midnight. Uh I'll get picked up from the airport and go to the the, the, the hotel, um, check in, wake up by eight o'clock in the morning, and have a team briefing at eight, and then uh, and then we we start our team process of final steps of registration and entry into the 2018 Dakar. Right. And uh, and that process uh, will we will you know, as a team of say 38 participants. Uh, keep in mind everybody in the team is considered a participant. Uh, whether you're a writer, whether you're a team manager, whether you're a truck driver, whether you're a mechanic, whether you're the engine guy, the physio guy, the team doctor, um, the t- team attorneys who help find rules and regulations, 
that monitor the race for, uh, in support of us, uh, as well as uh, making sure the other teams aren't violating any rules that we're in a position to protest, as well as uh, uh, protesting a protest. Um, there's all these rules that might be taking place behind the scenes of the actual race. So you need a staff in general, you know, or, or one re- resource of, of one person, one or two or whoever, uh, to, to manage that aspect of it. And, and that place can play a part of the strategy as well uh, throughout, you know, depending on what, what unfolds and what develops as we move along. So they consider, everybody yeah. is considered. So everybody. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So like, so I, I, I enter into the race um, as under a media package. Okay. Yeah. So uh, as a sponsor, um, my role is to help facilitate communications and media uh, for the team, which then obviously our brand uh, capitalizes on the content of that. And, and we can leverage it back into our advertisements uh, where some teams and sponsors might just sponsor a team, but actually don't really go there to support the team, adding value. So so when we look at, you know, how do we how do we sponsor any of these events, whether it's Speedway or, or off-road racing or action sports? We also have to allocate resources to help communicate what's going on, yeah, into various channels uh, uh, that's non-traditional. You know, your social channels are some of your bigger, bigger broadcasters these days than your traditional, uh, even though you still have to find a balance of both. Um, so, you, so you, when, when we typically sponsor someone, um, there's, there's more than just a financial investment there's more than just putting our logo on that, that entity. Uh, there's actually a process behind it on, okay, we're going to go do that. Now we need to allocate, you know, photography. We need to allocate story writers. You know, we need to, we need to build up this, this of what we're doing with this individual um, of which then the individual also benefits from it because his sponsors that are not maybe as active will get to get, you know, communicated via our channels in an organic way. Yeah. So there's different levels. Uh, so obviously we take the bigger, bigger approach on certain programs like that car where we are the naming of the team, you know, where it's the monster energy Honda team, which is the HRC factory rally team, which is a hundred percent built and, you know, developed in Japan. Um, and then, and then there are various outlets that help facilitate the racing team and strategy of it. So uh, like in Honda, like in our case, the engines, the development of the bike, all of that has been done in the HRC Honda Racing Corporation factory in Japan. And then Johnny Campbell here in America, yeah. he represents Honda North America. So, yeah, so he's heavily involved in the back end with HRC on durability testing uh, of the vehicle itself. You know, the bike needs to have durability testing uh, constantly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And so with the California deserts being here so easily accessible within a few hours, uh, you can be in the California desert testing uh, whether you want to go to sand dunes or hard pack the river washes or mountain passes we have a variety, I think, that exists right out our backyard. And it's easy for Johnny to, you know, for Honda to ship in a bike, you know, uh, go and run this, test this, you know, and they put all kinds of different type of uh, 
analytics uh, built into the bike so they can extract all of that data and learn from what from what that part or what that thing that they're testing or working with. And then they can just fly in and the riders, you know, from the various countries that they ride from. You know, we have five riders, one of them, Ricky Brabeck, which is from Hesperia mm-hmm. out in that area. So so the testing environment out there is really, really good for him. So we can use him for a lot of general durability testing throughout the whole year. Uh, and then there could be some bigger, bigger days where more riders come in from different markets. You know, they have five riders, Argentina. We have the U.S. from Ricky Brabeck. You got Spain, which is Joan Beretta. You got Mika Mataj, which is from France, and Paulo Congales from Portugal. So you have all these riders, and all of them have different, you know, characteristics of how the bike should be set up and so forth. And all that can be done tested here, you know. And having, having Johnny Campbell on your side. Yeah, so now Johnny Campbell. This year, Johnny plays a bigger role within the team structure. He's actually, as I understand it, the sporting director, more or less. Right. So he ha- is going to be working directly with the riders on strategy, you know, um, throughout throughout everything, how the riders are doing and manage the riders and the sport side of things. Uh, and then there will be other individuals, you know, uh, more upper management that's going to, you know, they got the engine guys that are managing the engines. You got a, a map guy that's helping us build maps, you know, uh, through Google Earth and so forth. Um, and, you know, summarizing and briefing the riders of what the next day's terrains are going to be like based on, you know, learnings through special maps and stuff. Mm-hmm. You got a physio person that, you know, takes care of the riders. So the riders are done or something like that. They need something rubbed out. There's a full-time physios always available for them. Uh, Masseuses, things like that. Um, So it's a big, it's a big operation. Um, And it, it, you know, this race is, is 14 days of racing. Uh, And we raced this year after the 2017 Dakar was over. Uh, which is when the season officially starts is when Dakar is over. So Dakar is like the last race of the season, really, even though it's the first race of the year. Right. So in April, the season will start and we'll races in place like Abu Dhabi. You know, they have a desert race in April. Uh, Qatar has a, a, has a race called the sea line race. Uh, Vegas to Reno is another race that we do. Uh, Then there's a three day race in Spain. We do. Uh, there's a, a race in, in Argentina that we do called Ruta 40. We do some racing in Chile. We do some racing in Peru uh, and Morocco. And those are kind of the races in a way that the schedule, if you, if you would kind of do them all. And all of that is part of the, the uh, FIM uh, uh, cross-country rally championship. Right. Yeah, and, that, and, that, and we use those races as to collect data. Yeah, for durability and testing. So when you add up all those races throughout the year, it might be 25,000, 30,000 kilometers that we've raced. So now we've been able to calculate and do our durability testing on parts and the day, uh, how many days that that part can be used and the threshold of wear and tear and failure. When does that become at what day? Right. Right. And so and trying to finalize every single piece that's going to be moving around on that bike. And so we know that when we go to Dakar, the brake pads are good for four days, right? Mm-hmm. Yes, they'll do five. Yes, they'll do six. Mm-hmm. But after day four, the, the failure rate and the worn rate really fluctuates. But we know this many days, this part is good for. Right. Right. So that has to be chronologically put into, into, a, into a daily maintenance schedule, right? 
then then you have the logistics and parts issuer. So you have a giant mobile truck, yeah, that has all of the parts to build three bikes times however many. So we have five bikes. So we probably carry enough parts to build each bike five times. Oh, over the course of fifteen days. Right. Yeah. That's a head to payload yeah. right there. <laughs> Every nut and bolt. Yeah. Now, how many of all, all these places are you actually on place? What do you mean? Uh, like how many of these, uh, you mean the events or just in this particular? Yeah, the events. I mean, it, there's not just the, the, the car, it's Speedway and everything. How many yeah. travel days do you have? Oh, so, so in a nutshell, so I will, I will attend every single GP as I have in the past, mm-hmm. um, primarily. Um, I will attend probably at least another 10 races or so in Poland. Uh, uh, that happened there, you know, if I'm home on that weekend, like the races. Yeah. Uh huh. Um, I have done some, a few races in Sweden. Uh, I have done a few speedway races in the UK, uh, but primarily due to travel and the ease of travel by living in, in Torin in Poland, I have a pretty easy access to the races on Sunday than, than flying to, to some other race, uh, you know, on a, on a Monday or a Tuesday or a Thursday or whatever, uh, Typically, those days I'm I'm doing a lot of office work uh, from home, expenses, invoices, uh, helmet designs, things of such like that, branding contracts. Uh, so that takes place the Monday through through Thursday uh, from home, and then the Thursday through through Sunday, uh, we can travel pretty much. So if a GP weekend is coming up, I'm probably leaving Thursday night or early Friday morning, with a return Sunday morning, Sunday afternoon. And then depending on where that race is in Poland on the Sunday, uh, if I, if I get home in time, then I'll get in the car and drive for that race. So, you know, I would say, I would say, you know, conservatively, uh, 25, 30 speedway races a year. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then on the, the cross country rally stuff, um, I can do anywhere from another three to five events, you know, keep in mind each event, is uh, on an average of three to seven days. Zero traveling a lot. Yeah, it comes and goes. And then, and then my season pretty much stops right, right after, uh, after the last Melbourne GP, for instance, Uh, I get back from Melbourne, you know, call it November one. And then, you know, the first week of November, uh, we're doing video and photo shoots for the coming year Dakar. So in this case, Melbourne finished in October. Uh, I was home on November 1st. On the morning of November 2nd, I flew to Barcelona and we did video and photo shoots of three days to promote the 2018 Dakar because that starts in January. So we have to have all that collateral done, all of the posters, signing cards, all of the themed elements that we take from from that shoot need to be put into all those pieces, all the press packs, all the press releases, all the headers all the graphics that take place all have to be built in November so that by time December, January comes along, those things have already, you know, started being used. Uh, it's a lot more that goes into it than what, what yeah. people just see. And then, you know, pretty much after I would say November 22nd, uh, all of the vehicles uh, get, get sh- driven uh, to France uh, into the port there in France in La Havre and then get on a giant ferry and the organizers rent a, a giant, giant ferry 
that will move, you know, as many vehicles that, that, that everybody is bringing. And that probably is about 700, 800 vehicles that go on this one boat. And that, one yeah. One boat. So. Yeah, yeah, everything. You know, all the competitors that are from Europe, all the service trucks, all the organizers' vehicles, the rescue vehicles, this, you know. And that includes like the monster, like your, your support. Yeah, yeah, our, our big MAN 6x6, yeah. any of the support vehicles, things like that. So mm-hmm. something happens with this one boat. But see, the, <laughs> the organ, it's through the organizers. So, yeah. Yeah. so that's, that, that's, that's why you'd want to use it. You know, yeah. a little more security. <laughs> yeah, so there's, yeah, there's, all, yeah, all, obviously all insured and yeah. and things of such. If that boat's late, then the race obviously gets you know pushed back a couple of days because it's the organizer's fault. But if you decide to ship on your own and you're late, yeah, you're late. You're late, right? Yeah. So, so everybody pretty much uses uses the organizers program, uh, and then all that stuff you know gets taken out of port in Lima, Peru. Uh, today and tomorrow. So it took that long, you know, ship from November 22nd and they're taking it out of port today and tomorrow. Dang. So, I mean, obviously everything's in place and ready to go. So they take that out of port. They go direct. I mean, it's yeah. Like, so they, they there's, took, no, there's no, so right after they take everything out of port, we have a, there's probably a, a designated area within the capital. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, let's say if you think of, a, of an idea around here is let's say uh, El Toro Marine base, for instance, mm-hmm. So, you know, everything would come out of Long Beach, you know, and then everybody would drive to El Toro here, right. you know, and build up camp, right? Because it's already fenced. It's already, it's an old runway. So there's a lot of tar, you know, ground, hard ground, right. uh, easy to secure. You know what I mean? So Things like a 20 mile, 30 K kind of. If they need to land helicopters, you know, uh, any medical planes, any media planes, things like that. They can use all those facilities that are already there. Closed Naval base, for instance, or something like that, you know. Uh, they leverage big, big chunks of land right. uh, and everything will get staged there. And then maybe, you know, much like the Olympics, you have, you know, you know, the, the, the athlete, the athlete living areas, you know, and they're all maybe all uh, separated on this giant grid in the, in the city. Right. So we got our staging of our base camp, all our vehicles. And then maybe over here, they have a thing called Dakar village, but it might be a mile away. It might be, it might be, you know, across the street, depends on how the city and the topography, how it works out that they can allocate traffic and all that. Man. And that Dakar village will, will be like the fan zone. Yeah. And that fan zone will probably be open for say three or four days and three or four days before the race starts, all the teams are coming in. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Three or four days, five days before, you know, getting acc- acclimated to the weather. I was say like you're like the riders. Okay. Yeah. On, yeah. On the HRC yeah. Team. Yeah. So tomorrow yeah. on the third, mm-hmm. uh, I won't be there, but tomorrow on the third, they will be uh, performing what we call a shakedown. Uh, you know, a, a, a test session, a practice session, making sure all the machinery and the equipment, everything is rattle free and tested and set up and everything good to go. But at the same time, we leverage media out of that. So you might have guests of Honda present. You might have Monster Energy local media content people there, uh, distributors there, you know, to to interact with the riders. You might invite a couple of journalists to come there as well to get some story photos of, of, of before the Dakar starts. Gotcha. Yeah. Then the morning of the sixth, Vamanos. So like you've talked about everything with the team setup and all that yeah. stuff, but even Monster's own, like your guys is with with your vehicles and your support on the yeah, side, so that's what, a whole other. Yeah. So what we do is 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 we we collaborate and organize with the team. Right. Uh, so when the team is making all of their vehicle entries and and staff entries, they make the entries for us on our behalf. 
So we get entered in as part of the team. Okay. Yeah. And we are in the, in our, our pit, you know, is, is our vehicles are allocated inside the same pit. There's a pit map, you know, what we would call a pit map, Mm -hmm. a bivouac map of, of allocated space based on the size of who you are. Right. Right. Yeah. So if you're a giant team, you might need to be, you know, four square blocks. So there's a grid when you come in that these things are all marked off and taped off with a, you know, a plot map, mm-hmm. you know, where's, where's, where's a 19, you know, okay. oh, it's down over here. And, and then there's like probably a guy on a pit bike at the gate and you scan in and he looks at where you are and he goes, oh, they're over here. Yeah. Okay. And he, he rides, you know, right. to get to your camp. How many people from monsters like you and, and the crew that are uh, there and that, how many, there, there's a total of three of us that, that pretty much do the journey. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> so it's not just the teams and the riders too. You got all, you got. Yeah. So we drive, so you know, anywhere from five to 800 kilometers a day. Uh, we build up, we help build up camp with our, with our own tents, mm-hmm. uh, making sure product is chilled out. You know, all of the, the standard hospitality type things. Uh, we're there to provide comfort and relaxation uh, to the team. At the same time, leverage and help organize the communication that comes out of the team. A lot like, yeah, I mean, on a lar- much larger scale, yeah. like what you guys do mm-hmm. for us. Mm-hmm. And the yeah. side too. So you get, yeah. yeah. So yeah, we, we, we stay busy. Um, but if, if you, I mean, all of these things, we just started, what are you doing yeah. today? But how does it start? How did you start Monster? How did, you- how did I personally start working yes. for Monster Energy? Uh, it's a, it's, that's a good question. You know, um, I would say I started with monster energy. I used to work for, uh, the laptop company called Toshiba. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Here in Irvine, California. Uh, and that was how long ago? That would have been, uh, oh my gosh, probably started working for Toshiba in, in 92, mm-hmm. Not Nin- that long 90, no. 90. <laughs> 90, 92, maybe somewhere 91 around. Okay. Uh, and, uh, and, 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 and where, how I started working there is, uh, uh, at that time I was just a surfer, man. I was just surfing, you know, I was just, you know, enjoying a little bit of that green mother nature a lot. And, uh, how uh, old were you? Uh, well, that would have been, I would have been 20, 20, All 20 right. 21, you know, uh, uh, and that was probably the time I realized, oh, I think I, I need to need to kind of get a job, you know, uh, you know, <laughs> I, I, I had done, I had always had a job. I never not had a job, which, you know, like I, I was, I was a paperboy delivery. I delivered Orange County Register. Yeah, that was you know what I mean? Yeah. I wake up in the morning and get my, my loaf of papers out there with my inserts and, and get in here with a rubber band, you know, bag of rubber bands and, and, and roll it and put my insert in. If it was bad weather, I had to sleeve every single bag in plastic poly bags and, get my BMX bike and wrap that three times on each handle bar and, <laughs> and, and calculate how many, ba- how many bags of, uh, of newspaper you could fit in each of your two sided bags, you know, and head out in the morning and go and sling a few papers on people's front doors. And if you did a good job, you know, they gave you a good tip and you had a fun relationship with your customers. And, uh, so even then it was like getting from, from good to better every, every day. So you're getting faster and faster until you delivered it. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Figured it out. Yeah. We, we often, Joe and I, you know, coming from similar backgrounds, it's, 
in this area too, we often reminisce about the, the kind of things that we did as kids growing up. And it was, yeah. it was paper routes, you know, I mean, mm-hmm. obviously you, you start off very young with a lemonade stand. Who did yeah. that? I'm not, huh. But paper route was, that was huge. I remember yeah. And it wasn't that. easy to get up a good route yeah. because you, you would, I mean, in a perfect world, you want the route that's, you know, right out your front door. Mm-hmm. But, you know, but if, but if you're just maybe you, you got lucky to get to get up to get on and, and get a job with them, maybe you, the route that you're, you know, they give you is three miles away. Oh, you know so, what I mean? So you got to be able to facilitate that correctly. So you might go, oh, wow, that's just too far. It's not going to work for me. You know what I mean? But, the, you know, you might get one that's closer to you or you take that one and then and then you get closer to you in time and you get, you know, get more senior. So you get a better route. But. The only way you're going to get a route is if someone leaves. And they would drop like bundles of papers off in your front, mm-hmm. like in your front yard or your, like in your, your driveway or whatever in the morning, big stacks. Then you had to carry it in and you had to open them up and like you said, roll them up, put the rubber band around them. Put the weekly advertiser in. Oh, you have that's to right. do all this. Yeah, that's yeah. what I mean by the insert. So there might oh, be a weekly sure. advertiser, you know, that's running a special this week at Subway Sandwiches, you know, yeah. whatever coupons are in there. Yeah. And so then that's another stack, right? Oh, so you had to do that for it by yourself. So take yeah, yeah, yeah. The answer, yeah. Put it in, roll yeah. It up, well, you roll them up. And then if it was back. like, looked like maybe it's raining, maybe it's bad weather or it's going to rain. <laughs> so then you have plastic bags that you got to roll the, the paper, right? Put mm-hmm. the rubber band around it and then put that in the plastic bag. So that for when each you, one. Well, cool. sure. All right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, oh. you know, you, and you had to have everything delivered by say nine o'clock in the morning. Right. And your papers might get delivered at two o'clock in the morning. And you got to be at school by eight o'clock in the morning. Oh, <laughs> you know, so, so you learn, you, you learn the work ethic. You, you want to, you want to make sure you get your bundles going the minute that they're dropped. Right. Yeah. So if he comes at two o'clock in the morning and drops them off, grab them, do them all. Yeah. yeah. And get everything all ready and prepared. And then I could chill or go back to sleep or whatever. And I knew it took me 45 minutes to do my route. Yeah. So at seven o'clock, I was done by seven forty-five. You know, back at the house. Mm-hmm. How'd you get your morning stir session? Then? Well, because I didn't have to deliver every day. Gotcha. Nah. <laughs> I wasn't stupid. I didn't take the everyday delivery, guys. You know. <laughs> uh-huh. yeah. So I you think I, I, think I had to deliver to like for you. You just did like subcontracting. <laughs> it was like two or three days a week. You know that you delivered. All know? right. Yeah. Some people only wanted the Sunday paper. You know. Some people only wanted the paper three days a week. You know, oh, of course, yeah, yeah. That's, a new, that's what you call newspaper delivery etiquette. You had to figure out. You had to like <laughs> find your clientele. Yeah, did you have any specials like guys that you knew? I got to take care of this group. Oh, you all, yeah, yeah. You and yeah. and you knew for for good reason though. It wasn't like oh that guy's an asshole, man. He always makes me do this. No, they reward you for it if you just paid attention and and it didn't. It, you you end up learning your client. You end up learning that customer. That he wants it on his front porch. Mm-hmm. You know, and he doesn't want. A wet, a wet, a wet paper. Mm-hmm. So it, in a lot of cases, I just bag them. I bag those guys all the time because it might be condensation morning, a big yeah. dewy. Always and all true. of a sudden, you know, corners of the papers are wet and the guy's bummed. Or when you threw it in there, right, it skid and scuffed up your thing. So you, you had to learn a good technique, right, of throwing the paper to the right location without damaging the freaking paper. <laughs> you know, you don't want to line drive that thing in there. You want it to lob in so it just... Thing. stops right yeah yeah and if it hits their you know front porch and it hits the little you know feet cleaners pad then that's probably a better deal you know like, but, but at the same time you don't want to put it in a spot to where he opens the door it's blocking the door 
Oh. Right? Yeah. So if it lands here and he opens, he's got to go out and around that. Well, that's that's not cool, right? Yeah, but don't they want to open the door and just grab the paper? They want to open the paper, the door so it should be right in front. Right, so it doesn't sweep it around. Yeah. I'm with you. Catch it. <laughs> so these, you guys, oh, these guys should have been like pitchers. Some of these guys probably turned out to be like baseball pitchers or quarterbacks. Or yeah, there were some houses that it worked where you could actually – flip it in there and it, it was in the desired area that it needed to go. And, and some of them you needed, you know, to actually get off your bike and go and put it in that right spot. And, you know, Mrs. Miller doesn't like it when it's over there, you know, <laughs> <laughs> she, she, yeah, yeah. come Christmas, she rewards you, yeah. you know, she puts an extra 25 buck tip in your, in your thing. And you're like, wow, I went to collect all my bills for the month and she throws you an extra 25 bucks. And so, and, Maybe the guy down the street takes you, throws you 10 and this guy throws you five and you know, there's another 75 buck bonus you got for Christmas. And you know, that's perfect. Yeah. When you're 15, 16 years old, that's pretty good. So you go from like a surfer to paper boy. No, surfing, no. surfing didn't stop. That was what I did, oh, you did? Oh, okay. all the time. Uh, paper jobs uh, or any kind of other miscellaneous jobs was, uh, enough work to sustain my surfing. Oh. Yeah. 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 And my, my outdoor activities, you know, uh, it wasn't like, Oh, I need a job to pay bills. Gotcha. No, because I was living at mom and dad's obviously when I'm 16, 17, you know, mm-hmm. uh, which is a, the pr- primary years of, of now I can drive. Yeah. Now I got my own car. Now I got my independence. Now, you know, I can go and do whatever I need to go and do. Uh, but I needed to have a job. Yeah. Course, yeah. Yeah, so, gas yeah, so so I worked uh, I worked at uh, Avis Avis Rental Cars, mm-hmm. but the the leasing and and sales of leased cars, yeah. So it was uh, it was Avis Auto Car Sales. Oh, it, yeah. it was on Huntington Beach. Yeah, yeah. It was uh, right right there next to uh, Cal Worthington and his dog spot. Go see Cal. Go see Cal. Go see Cal. <laughs> I'll stand up on my head before my ears turn red. <laughs> He always put that. He remembers so many of the. This, this was some of the advertisements from the, the Cal Worthington Dodge, right? Oh, yeah. So they. Had, yeah. Yeah, we won't, we won't go into that. But yeah, I I I, uh, I unlocked cars and locked cars on a parking lot for Avis, and uh, and made sure that every car started up in the morning. Yeah. Uh, I made sure that the vehicle had gas in case the test driver came by and someone wanted to test drive that car. You, you want to make sure the car starts. Mm-hmm. You want to make sure the car has fuel. You want to make sure the car is cleaned. Yeah. So every day you go through that and you go through every single car. You have a big clipboard with all these freaking keys. Mm-hmm. You know, and you go and start them all up, make sure the fuel level is good. The fuel level is low, make a note of it. You know, and then after you've done all that, then, then hop in that car and tell the sales guy, Hey, I'll be right back in five minutes. I got to fill up, you know, this, you know, four Taurus. All right, cool. You know, go and fill it up. And uh, if 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 uh, if you had an extra minute, yeah, <laughs> check uh, this one down. Check out the waves. And see <laughs> yeah, sometimes you know, but it was it was pretty it was pretty cool. Uh, and then if 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 there was something wrong with the car, you know, uh, maybe the battery was dead or or a test drive was happening, and 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 the customer says, okay, I want to buy this, but you know, I want the transmission, everything checked out, this and that. Okay. Then we would we would use uh, I think at that time it was Firestone Tire. They were just down the street from us. That became Big O Tire, yeah. you know. And they did you know brakes, you know alignment, you know tires, 
any light, light maintenance stuff, uh, bigger stuff. We had, you know, a little muffler shop that probably did other stuff. And I would run it back and forth, you know, uh, uh, in various ways. And, and then what came out of that was, uh, then I started working for Big O Tire. Yeah. Because I had built a management relationship, right? I was the guy, I was the Avis guy bringing the cars, signing the thing for the manager. You know, I was the delivery guy. Uh, so I got a, to be good friends with the manager and the owner of the store. And he liked the way I interacted with people and this and that. And, uh, so he hired me to, uh, uh, I learned how to change tires. I did tires, you know, mounting and balancing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, and then they, little by little, I learned, uh, the brakes, you know, and then, uh, and then they put me through alignment school and I learned, you know, through Hunter alignment and bear alignment systems, how to align cars, you know, camber, caster, tow, you know, all that stuff. Uh, and then it just kind of went from there. I was working at Big O Tires for a little while. And then uh, what happened there? I went to, I, I kind of got bored of it in a way because uh, it was not easy. You always had to, um, you know, a snap on tool truck would pull up, you know, and you got to load up on the fresh new tools and you got to get this to make this job easier. And then a new model came out on a car and you got to get a different tool, you know, uh, and you can make good money, but you had to have the right tools to do those jobs. You know what I mean? Uh, so you're making good money. You're spending a lot of money on tools. You have to tool truck with credit and you're working a lot. And it was just, you know, not learning the process, right? Yeah. It was good from a learning thing, but it wasn't me. It was like, wow, no, you know? So I left that. And then I, I, I signed up with uh, this temporary agency. I think it was Kelly services. They might even be still around. I remember, you know, and, uh, and, and just put my name on a list. You give them what your, your interests are. You give them what your, you know, background is, what, what, what are you willing to do? What, what are you not willing to do? Uh, you know, a, a minimum amount per hour that you want to get paid. And then when jobs that fit your criteria come up, they call you and say, Hey, uh, we have a job for you tomorrow morning. Uh, it's at Toshiba. Can you meet at eight o'clock in the morning at their, here's the address. Yeah. Okay. How many days is this for? Uh, it's a three day, I think, but it may continue. Yeah. All right. Good. So I'll go there. I went there and, uh, if you remember the old laptops, they had the track ball off the side. Yeah. Yeah, the Toshiba track ball they clipped on there. Apparently, the the that polyurethane ball was defective in all of their units that were in the warehouse that were boxed. Oh, so all these units had to come get unboxed, take that mouse out, twist that little plastic pop thing off to take out the ball, put a new ball, twist the thing back on, put it back in the poly bag, then put it back in the box, seal it up, and put the factory tape back on it and go. No. <clears throat> yeah. And there's like, you That's know, how you started. and there's like 15,000 people out there, uh, 15,000 units that need to be reworked. Oh my God. Right. Yeah. And so there's like 10 people in line, you know, and this guy's opening, this guy's taking this, you know, and before it gets to the 10th oh, so guy, time, right? you know what I mean? It's all back. Right. Yeah. And then, you know, you're doing that for eight hours a day for three days. Yeah. And then that job ends and then another job comes up and then the guy calls, says, Hey, uh, these are the guys that worked with us in the past and we really like their working, you know? So when we post jobs to Kelly as a, as a, as a employee, mm-hmm. uh, we only want it to be interested to these people. Yeah. Oh. So all of a sudden you have a company like Toshiba that typically gets the same people coming mm-hmm. for work because those are the people that they've requested from previous jobs. And I, I became one of those regulars. So whenever work came up at Toshiba, 
I was on the list of, of a kind of say a priority and I would get a call and they say, Hey, uh, we have a, a job at Toshiba and I drive a forklift. Do you have a forklift license? No, I don't. Oh, oh, sorry. This job is for that. Right. Fuck. So I got this one job where it was like unloading seat containers, mm-hmm. you know, and, and helping build pallets of computers. So I did that for a while. And then, um, the guy that I get, I was always reporting to Toshiba. Uh, I can't remember the guy's name. Obviously like my work ethic. Mm-hmm. And he just said, Hey, uh, you know how to drive a forklift? I said, no, I don't have a forklift license. He's like, man, we have a lot of, we have a lot of need for that stuff. And he's like, Hey, I'll tell you what, I'll, I'll, I'll put you through forklift classes. We'll certify you. Yeah. So just here, go talk to this person and they'll, you know, and so I went to this, uh, I think it was Clark for forklifts, uh-huh. Clark training or something like that, you know, and got certified. And then if any other future jobs come up at Toshiba, I I'm now certified. Right. Perfect. Yeah. Yeah. More or less. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. And so I, I drove a forklift for a little while and then, uh, then I was driving the forklift for, for, I mean, you guys want to talk about this? Yes. yes. Totally. Okay. We do. No, the right. cool thing is like you and I, we spend lots of hours, you know, cruising, traveling or hanging mm-hmm. to your place in Poland. So you, we start to reminisce and tell stories. Yeah. I'm learning even yeah. more about, you know, this, this is awesome. So yeah, I, 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 it gets better. So I drove the forklift <laughs> and, and the department that I was driving the forklift for was handling all of the returned damaged or, or product that was malfunctioning from factory settings. Yeah. So like say a, a Best Buy, a Comp USA, a Ingram Micro. Yeah. They're selling a lot of laptops at the time, mm-hmm. you know, hundreds of them. Right. Right. And so they're purchasing thousands. Right. And, and they sell them to you and you have something wrong and you bring it back in. Right. And return it. And then they send it back to Toshiba. So the return department is where I was working in. Yeah. Okay. And, and you had, uh, and when you re- re- receive a returned item from a, a a CompUSA or Ingram Micro or whoever, Best Buy, uh, they have an RMA number, a return material authorization number, right? An RMA number, real simple in warehousing, yeah? And and the receiver then receives this this box according to this reference number, this RMA number. Mm -hmm. And this RMA number equates back to that account and and credits that account, right, Mm -hmm. of the returned product. So their account gets credited. So you're dealing with debits and credits, right? All the time, right? Mm-hmm. So, but what happens a lot of times is you get these big companies like Ingram, Micro, Best Buy, or whoever big box retailer. They don't just return one box at a time, obviously, because they have a lot of buying power and selling power. So they might, you know, every month and a half do their return shipment, mm-hmm. right? So I receive from Best Buy today, you know, 72 laptops. Yeah. And, and there might be one RMA number for all of those. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and let's say they are. And so I receive 62. Mm-hmm. There's not 70 here. Right. Right. Yeah. So now I've got to notify our, our, our credit department, right. To let the vendor know, Hey, we received 68. The RMA is open for, for, for 70. And they go, Oh, we have them here. We'll send them. Yeah. So then they show up and then you scan them in and then now, now that's closed, but there might be a case where they did send them. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But, but maybe the RMA number for some reason on that box, that one, two, three, four, five happened to be one, two, 
1.245. But 1.245 went to CompUSA's credit. Oh, gosh. Right? Yeah. So then we have to then go into a discrepancy area, right? And look up, okay, what are the serial numbers that you best buy returned under that RMA, right? And then all of a sudden, CompUSA doing the same thing. And then all of a sudden you go, wow, I got a best buy serial number received under a CompUSA debit or credit, right? Mm -hmm. So I had to find those discrepancies within the system Mm -hmm. to reverse debit credit offset each account, right? Mm -hmm. So this was all... This was all prior to year 2000. Yeah, because the, the year 2000 computer bug was coming. Right. Oh, yeah. Right. Yeah. So this would have been probably 97, 98, 99, actually. It was before the 90s. Now that I think more in detail of it. Uh, because I worked in the shipping warehouse and receiving, I worked in the re- return uh, department. Yeah. And then within the return department, I was handling the, the, the discrepancies. Oh of communicating back and forth to the credit department. Yeah. I then got moved into the credit department. You know, all of a sudden I got moved out of the warehouse. Now I'm in a business casual environment in the corporate ivory tower of Toshiba and Irvine spectrum, you know, uh, working with the creditors and the debitors on how to find discrepancy items within our warehouse system. Okay. So that the warehouse guy wouldn't have to go and do that. Right. So I became a bridge. Right. Mm -hmm. So I did that for a while. And then, and then, uh, uh, they could see, you know, "Ah, this is, you know, what's, what's going on here. And then, uh, that now we're getting closer to the year 2000 and, and our programmers. Yeah. That actually did all of the programming, Mm -hmm. uh, needed, needed someone because the turnover rate, at that time, people were coming and going, you know, because everybody was contractors. So all of a sudden this guy's bidding, you know, so it was it was a chaos to find good resources of programmers because of the turnover rate was really high. Right. But here was me who I learned all of this, this business flow. Right. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden I get now put into the IT department and I'm sitting next to programmers that guys that know how to program, but it's their first day. And they're like, OK, okay where does the product start? You know what I mean? Yeah. They've got a uh, code, look in the code and see how that, right? But I would help them draw the picture first so that the code fits the picture in the actual logic of what makes sense, right? Huh. So I, I did that for a while with IT a couple of years and then eventually got moved into, into our web development side of things on Toshiba.com for the computer division uh, and, and building, you know, uh, basically graphics, you know, uh, all of the, the ad banners, the fly in banners, the animated GIFs, you know, you know, for Toshiba.com, as well as the, the company uh, intranet. Right. You know, uh, what did you do on that? Uh, Toshiba put me through all of the classes. They did? Yeah. Yeah. Little by little, uh, they put me through all these different classes. And I think, you know, over the whatever 10 years or so that I worked at Toshiba, I had, you know, managed to get a, a certificate for, for forklift driving, you know, uh, <laughs> you know, I managed to get, you know, certificates, multiple certificates in all of your Microsoft uh, products, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Microsoft word, Excel, PowerPoint, uh, things of such. Um, I got uh, multiple levels of uh, beginner, intermediate, advanced uh, training in Photoshop, mm-hmm. 
Uh, I learned uh, HTML. I learned JavaScript. I learned cascading style sheets. Uh, I even learned when I was in the IT department, the System 36, which is a IBM punch card programming class, oh. believe it or not. So you'd have to, you know, do your programming and then, and then put that into a punch card and feed that into the computer. And that's how the programs were read at that time. Now, I never had to use those systems, but because I went through programming, they put me through an IBM programming class while I was working for Toshiba because our warehouse system was IBM based uh, language, right? Uh, so they took you through this time, time piece of where, what the computer is today, more or less, you know, and you learned all these steps so that you understood a lot more. Uh, but yeah, I did all that stuff through Toshiba. Uh, all my certificate class certificate stuff uh, was all through Toshiba. And then, uh, Shortly after the year 2000, when the bug was realized that, okay, everything is, everything's cool. We're working. We're good. Uh, the, the, the amount of jobs started to dissipate. Now I was a full-time employee, so I wasn't a contractor, but our departments little by little got outsourced to where I finally hit our department and, uh, and I was laid off, you know? Uh, and then, uh, and then I, at that time I had managed to, uh, get in touch uh, somehow with uh with um with with hansen's beverage company yeah uh, mm -hmm. uh, and then uh, i got in, involved with them on building monsterenergy.com uh, and what is hansen manager uh, beering company so hansen's beverage company is the original parent company of monster okay yeah uh, the hansen family and the hansen juice brand was uh, a good for you, cool product, I believe, to our demographic here in Orange County. Yeah, we uh, grew up with that. We grew up with that, drinks. with that, yeah. you know. Um, Do you know about them outside Orange County or years? Well, the, in 1954 is when the brand uh, started business. And it was uh, the Hanson family selling fresh squeezed juice to the Hollywood movie sets. They were like the caterer, for, but, but the good for you type product. Cool. Yeah. And then it, it built itself up. And then uh, around in 1991, the family then uh, sold the company to uh, to our current owners right now of the company. Mm -hmm. uh, and then and then over time, Hansen's Beverage ended up developing a product called Monster Energy. Uh, and then as time moved forward, uh, the energy monster energy brand became such a strong brand within the, the Hanson's company that then they felt it was a, a good time to change the name of the company to monster beverage company. Uh, mm -hmm. and, and, and that, and, and what year did, did monster officially kick off? I, I mean, the design of it and the, and the, the concept was probably designed. Uh, this was designed by Mark Hall, the president, I would say he was probably already in his mind developing this product uh, in the year 2000. Yeah, uh, probably is when he conceptualized, you know, what 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 was going to be, you know, he, he what is he going to make, mm -hmm. and that that fruition probably came to 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 reality uh, to where you and I can actually now buy it somewhere in 2002. Right. 2002. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So yeah. two years he was, yeah. And, and you you were with the company at uh, officially two thousand two. Two thousand two. Yeah. So you've been there. For I a came year. as a as a contractor in around September of two thousand one. 
And what was your... My job was to help launch monsterenergy.com. Wow. Yeah. So I was like the web, web manager for that. Uh, it was my first, first role there. And then, uh, and then uh, being that I was kind of the, the, the marketing manager for the internet um, and coming from Toshiba, which is a very large structured environment, uh, I then obviously saw a, a, an easy formula, an easy recipe of how do we take something cool and edgy that uh, we can leverage the internet, you know, um, to be more effective because uh, at that time at my age, you know, I was a skateboarder, I was a surfer, I was into punk rock music, I was in a backyard party and, you know, uh, I was there chasing the, you know, the, the sunshine dream like any other Orange County kid was. Sure. And, and luckily, you know, in my, in my time of, of surfing in that, in that era or skateboarding in that era, you know, I grew up with, you know, Steve Caballero, you know, <laughs> someone said, oh, who's that guy? Well, yeah. he was a guy back in then, you know, yeah. you know, uh, Tony Alba, yeah. you know, with skateboards. Not just the guy, they were you these know, guys. Yeah, they were these guys, the, uh, the Carrasco brothers, you know, uh, these are all, you know, guys, skateboarders back in the day, you know, when, uh, you know, you had a punk rock band playing in the backyard and there was a smaller mini rap and it was a good time, you know, keg of beer on the side. You know, <laughs> you know, and it was the, it was a full, you know, that's, that was what, what we enjoyed as a good time. And then it, you know, and then I, you know, happened to get lucky and work for a structured organization like Toshiba and learned, you know, the, the digital world that's out there. I was never into that. You know, we didn't have Facebook growing up. I think I had a Motorola beeper, you know, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you went through, you went through the beeper. Yeah. That was cool. You know, if you had a beeper, that was like, you were cool, dude, you were advanced. Did, yeah. did you realize how big the internet thing should be? Yeah, no, it wasn't that. a matter of that. It's it, it was a matter of holy mackerel. Uh, I've been blessed to have been involved with, you know, KROQ back in the day, you know, I mean, the music that came out of there, Rock and Fig down in Huntington Beach, you know, Wings from Wahoo's. Uh, I mean, hanging out with, you know, Lance Collins from Wave Tools, you know, and cutting glass fins for him, you know, and then his son, Richie Collins and 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 all of the other riders that came out of Newport Beach. And this is totally, you know, and, and, and like, you know, you look at, you, you know, the clothing brand uh, Volcom. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So uh, so Rich Wolcott is the founder of Volcom. You know, and he was, he was a, he was a hood rat, you know, from, from Newport beach, you know, he lived on 207 Grant street, right next to the frog house. Frog house was a place that I kind of hung out with, you know, Mikey Bejo and all the guys down there. And it, it was just, you, you touch so many different brands. And, and when I got older, I would say older, you know, call it 28, 30 or whatever. You don't realize like you look outside of the box and you look inside the world and someone says, Oh dude, where are you from? California. Oh yeah, that's rat. And then, and then later in, in time or whatever, the guy goes, dude, you know, Troy Lee, like, you know him, you know, or, 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 you know, this guy and, and what you never realize, if you look at, if you look back at all the different brands that come out of Orange County, you, you would go, why, why is that there? And, right. and to exactly. be a product of that environment, was is what I'm blessed to say. It's not that I think you know 
uh, of being special or being creative or being, you know, a genius or being this or anything. I just look back and say, all I can say is I've been lucky to have been part of, of this environment. This was the cage I lived in. And, and what came out of that cage were brands like Vans, you know, were bands like, you know, TSOL, Suicide Tendencies, Social Distortion, you know. Uh, you look at, you know, Quicksilver was here. Billabong was here. Rusty's right around the corner. It's crazy. Oakley comes from here. Company like Monster comes from here. I mean, what comes out of this world? You know, Gotcha Clothing came out of here. You know, I mean, the list can go on and, 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 and many things, you know. Uh, yeah, offshore. I mean, rainbow sandals. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> right out of San Clemente. You know, yeah. uh, there are so many things and and that came out of this environment. And uh, and then to, to 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 say, oh wow, okay, I'm doing internet marketing now. Stuff. Okay, great. I oh oh, do we need to do a promotion with Vance? No worries. We know those guys. You know what I mean? They're mm-hmm. our backyard bros, yeah. right? So we need to do stuff with here. No problem. We can call that guy because, oh, the kid I went to high school, he now works over at Hurley. You know what I mean? We all grew up together in some way. So we made we made shit happen. We made it get done. You guys are always a, you're, you're yeah. creating networks. Yeah. When, yeah, when we didn't have networks. Yeah. We didn't have that, you know? So then to, to, to work now in that space is to say, okay, how can we take all of these cool elements that I've been involved in as a hobby and a, and a passion to be involved with, how do we put that on the internet? Well, dude, I, I just came from internet fucking bullshit, you know? So I know how to do that stuff now. So just give me, oh yeah, okay, great. No worries. But man, man, man. And then little by little, you just, you, you, you have learnings of, you know, what works and what doesn't. And, You're experiencing And so doing, doing the web for monsterenergy.com, uh, all of the content that went on there, uh, I had to also get. You know what I mean? So if it's stories from writers or this and that. And so I ended up building good relationships with guys like Mokua Rothman, one of our first athletes, Rick Thorne, you know, those two of the guys, you know, back in the day have been athletes and still athletes with us today. Uh, and working with those guys, you know, making sure we get their, you know, they got their hat, they got their bottle, they got their sticker or something like that. You know, we didn't have a sports guy, you know, that really f- facilitate that. That came later, right. you know. Uh, and as, as that became coming towards us, then our president, Mark Call at the time said, Hey, you know what? Uh, we can get someone else to do that digital stuff, dude. You're, I, you're, you've done an amazing job. Great. But I really like how you interact with the people on this side. So let's do, let's get you into that, you know? And then, then I got involved in, in motorsport management, you know, uh, you know, I had, and I grew up with guys like Robbie Gordon, you know, so it wasn't hard to, to connect motorsports and an understanding of that, you know, whether it's the Baja races or Supercross or things of that such, you know, um, that was really secondhand to us around here, you know, Speedway, you know, exactly. uh, little things like that. And so my, my love and passion uh, was driven from taking, you know, a company and being a part of the company from, from its birth and trying to make a, make, make a change and make something different with a, a different approach. Uh, in my case, uh, I mean, yes, I was educated per se via technical uh, classes and such that I was in taught through. Uh, but, you know, I'm a guy that really didn't enjoy school. You did? No, school was not, not cool for me. 
uh, you know, right. uh, I, 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 I did what I, I, I did it to needed to do. Yeah. Uh, and a lot of times I probably didn't do enough, uh, because my focus was surfing and was enjoying that, that sunshine lifestyle. So you're you know? born in, in California. No, no, no. I, <laughs> Where were you born? Uh, Where were you born? I was, I was born in 1970. So I'm not a, I'm not a young, young buck anymore. Yeah, you are. Yeah, <laughs> uh, and I was born. In, I know someone uh, else was born in seventy. <laughs> I was born in a foreign world, uh, considering living in California. I was born in Karachi, Pakistan. Oh, yes, believe it or not. <laughs> How uh, my father uh, worked for the the government, uh, so he was stationed uh, where American embassies were located. Uh, in, in different parts of the world at certain times of, 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 of the year. So say three years, you know, in one country, three years in another country, three years or four years in this country. So uh, I didn't move to, to Garden Grove, California until 1979. So nine, 78, 79 is when I moved to Orange County. So, so you started school in Pakistan. Uh, no, I left Pakistan when probably I was about a year old. So that would have been before I got involved in any types of, uh, you know, uh, curriculum type things. Okay. Being um, born there, would you have gotten a passport there too? Uh, I, I, I'm not there? sure. I don't know what the dual nationality, not every country accepts dual nationality. Right. Certain do, certain don't. Yeah, right. um, but if That's it was, then, then I could have, I guess. Yeah. Um, but, but just because I was born... Uh, in Karachi, Pakistan uh, is no different than like uh, my son now, you know, Adam, that was just born in Warsaw. Mm -hmm. So you just have to file for certificate of birth abroad. Right. All right. Yeah. My kids. yeah. So uh, it's not a, not a, not a hard process. Uh, you know, you file that, you get a social security number, you know, and uh, he's an American citizen and he's also a Polish citizen. So he has, will have two passports, one Polish passport, and, uh, and, 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 and one, and one American passport. Now he has dual because his parents are Polish and, and American. Okay. But like in my case where my parents were both American, that why would I want a Pakistanian or another foreign national passport? It exactly. wasn't really, yeah. Yeah. you know, you're that young of age. What are you, you know yeah. what I mean? So I think it only works if you have dual parents like you and Jenny or something like yeah. that, you know, me and Daria, uh, things of that nature. Um, so yeah, after we left Pakistan, uh, we spent probably a little bit of time, I think in Tehran, mm -hmm. maybe six, eight months or something like that. So once again, that was way before my, my memory. I mean, you think about the time period for the time frame when we were there. Too. Yeah. And then in 19, I would say now 71. Yes. 70, 71. Now I think we moved to Kafisha, Greece, Greece. Yeah. Yeah. And we, we lived in Kafisha, Greece for a little while. Uh, actually, no, we, that was Africa. We lived in Africa in the seventies, left Africa in 74 and in 74 moved to Kafisha, Greece. And we lived in Western, Western Africa in Liberia in the area of Monrovia. Wow. Yeah. And we were there for three and a half years and then we came to Kafisha, Greece and then we left Greece, I believe in 78. Yeah. And, and moved to Boston where my mom and dad are from. And then, uh, and then my dad found a job. Uh, after he left the government, uh, he found a job at Hughes Aircraft, right. which is in Fullerton. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and so that, that's what brought you back. And here. that's what brought us out to here in '79. Yeah, so then he moved all of us out here. So you remember Greece? I can remember a lot of things when I look at the pictures. 
And a lot of the memory, I believe, are obviously from past stories of my family and brothers talking about it more than one time. And then it comes back. And then, it, 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 yeah, it triggers something and it comes back. <laughs> but other than that, no, I mean, you can't remember a whole lot. Huh. Brother, brothers and sisters, there you go. Yeah. You, you got... I'm a family, come from five. Five? Yeah, I have three brothers and a sister. So and you are? The, I'm the youngest. The youngest. Mm-hmm. So think where all the other were born... So actually only, only myself and Jeff, my, my third oldest brother, uh, youngest, I, I, my, my oldest is John I've met. And then I got my second oldest, which is James. My third oldest is Jeff. And then my sister is Joanne. And then I'm Joe, Joseph. Yeah. All of them start by J. (laughs) So I believe Jeff is the only one that was born outside of America and myself. Jeff, I believe was born in Greece. Uh, so my dad had two terms in Greece. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He was That's there once cool. before. Yeah. Kind of cool. I mean, your mom and dad, they took all of these kids. Yeah, roughly. I, I would believe my, yeah. my dad, my dad probably, I would say, was working abroad 17 years, no roughly. Kidding. Yeah. Wow. So for 17 years, he moved his family, from, you know, all over. Yeah. Are you the only one in the family now who is working abroad these days? Yeah, I'm the only one that that lives abroad for sure. Yeah. And the only one that probably travels abroad the most. In in work. Yeah, exactly. You you travel abroad more than most of us. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But that's kind of cool. So so then, but you went to school here in, in... Yeah, my, my last, my last times of school was right here in, in Newport. I went to Back Bay. Did you know each other when you when when you grew up? Uh, no, 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 no. We're the same age and mm-hmm. grew up. And I even I had I had some uh, some of my homeschool at the end too. I had to register oh, yeah. there at Back Bay. Really? So, yeah. I didn't go yeah. to school there, but I just yeah. went there for the to turn in the papers. Yeah. Get the new assignments and yeah. go away. Yeah, I went to Back Bay for a little bit. Finished my my school. continuation school. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Basically, you can do your work from home, basically go to school once a week for a couple of hours. You know, yeah, it was good. It worked out all right. Uh, <laughs> it worked out all right, but it wasn't cool. <laughs> no, 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 it wasn't. It wasn't. It wasn't what that worked for me at that time. You know, uh, there wasn't a thought of, 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 you know, setting a, a, a goal, having, a, having, you know, certain studies done to fit a goal you know, and, and, and really methodically plan out what your career or future would bring you, you know, uh, that, that, that mechanism wasn't, wasn't for me, you know, I exactly what you mean. Uh, I, I was <laughs> living for today. Yeah. Tomorrow hasn't come yet. So why, I, I'm not worried about that, you know, um, I'll, I'll the teacher right always yeah. talking about things that happen and what will be good for you in the future. Yeah, they never told you what to do today. I think that the one of the most coolest things for me in general, if I look back on everything, most of the time, the people I was around were older than me. You know, a couple years, three years, five years. You know what I mean? So you you learned a lot in in life and street smarts, uh, depending on who you hung out with in, in that sense, you know. Um, growing up in Garden Grove, California, you know, back in, you know, the early eighties, you know, we had, we had everything thrown at us. We had, we had the Asian gangs, you know, we had the, the Hispanic gangs, you had the black gangs, 
you had the territorial gangs, you know, from, you know, Santa Ana from Westminster, you know, uh, so you had the Crips, you had the Bloods. We're not too far from Compton Street, you know, in the 70s, you know, uh, all the way through the 80s, you know, 85, 89, you know, and you look at you know, music artists, this is where, you know, you know, Snoop Dogg, Dr. Dre, Exhibit, you know, Tupac. This was what was coming out of Compton. You know, uh, you look at bands like Sublime, you know, <laughs> TSOL, Suicidal Tendencies. Uh, this was, this, you know, yeah, Dead Kennedy. So much stuff was coming out of areas not too far from around where we live. And that's what we grew up in. You know, it was, it was uh, a lot different, but it was, I mean, it, we didn't think of danger. No, there was not. You know what I mean? No. Yeah. I mean, we didn't think of danger. I mean, I was a, you know, a 12, 13 year old kid and I would hop on my bike and, you know, I would go and ride for miles, you know, <laughs> you know, I'd be, I'd be, you know, five, six miles away from home on my bike. You know what I mean? Because there's a dirt jump over there. You know what I mean? Or over here, there's a guy that had a backyard ramp. You know, and you uh, had to ride on the big streets. Yeah, you know, there was yeah, the, yeah. Just we would never let our kids do that today. No, no, no. You don't have any cell phones. No, no, no. no. <laughs> but what we did have is streetlights. So mom and dad said, <laughs> "You better be home before the streetlights come on." <laughs> oh, that was cool. Yeah. Well, how do you know when they are? Oh, you knew. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they, <laughs> there you, no time on that. You know what time they're coming to come on at. They're going to come on at like, you know, six o'clock, six o two, six o three. Yeah. You know, so if you didn't have a watch, you better make sure you had some way to know the time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You knew. You yeah. knew. You just knew. Yeah. Uh -huh. <laughs> you judge by the, by the light, yeah. looking over the sun going down over the horizon. And you knew that like, within that time, you better be close to home already. Yeah. Don't start thinking about going home five miles away, you know, too late. Right. Cause then by the time you get home, you're busted. Yeah. You're you're busted. SOL. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, I mean, that's, we did a lot of fun things and uh, we explored, you know, we went a lot of places and we BMXed and we skateboarded and wow. Yeah. We, we experimented. But, <laughs> but today you're living in Poland. You're, you're like living in Poland. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I live in Poland. Uh, I, I'm married to a, a beautiful wife, Daria, and we have a beautiful son, Adam, and we uh, we built a home in Torin, Poland, mm -hmm. and uh, we've moved in as of April of 2017. Uh, and, and yeah, I would say I'm very, very, very comfortable where I live. Uh, I like what I do. I like working for Monster, I'm going on what 17 years now. Uh, basing in Poland works very well. Uh, I'm close to the Speedway community. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm close to keeping up to speed on on uh, the gossip <laughs> of what's going on in Speedway, yeah. the movements, you know, but, the silly seasons, uh, the Speedway movement. The yeah. Um, but talking about that, how how I mean, you, you went from a paper route, paper route, yeah, <laughs> to. Driving forklifts, to, forklift. to changing tires, yeah. and, and working on commuters, and you know, and then working for a, a cool energy drink brand. Yeah, yeah and then when right. you start there, you you build up the web page. Yeah, and now you're helping out in Speedway world. How, yeah, how do you did you choose Speedway or did someone? No, I think when, I mean. Start to... I mean, it's it's. I mean, let's face it. It's not not a hard. It's not rocket science here. 
Okay. Hmm. Um, uh, once you learn how to bake a cake, you, you, you don't need to read the recipe anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and, and when I say that, I think when we started working, uh, with this company monster energy and, and we started to build this up and us, uh, the employees and the management and the leadership, uh, clearly had a direction of where we're going to go with this. Uh, that, that model was developed right here in Corona, California, uh, with the, with the individuals like myself, uh, amongst others, uh, talented people that grew up in the same environments as myself. And we all walked the walk and talked the talk and, uh, and, and upper management gave us the right clear direction. And we were the, we were the, the, the conduit to those communities where the, we're, we were the guys that could go into those surf cultures or BMX cultures or motorsport cultures and hang out and talk the talk and walk the walk with the, the riders of that space, you know? Uh, and so once we got that recipe of what works, you know, when you, when you go to another foreign market, you just take that same recipe you, you dial in the ingredients, you change the ingredients based on the landscapes. So when you look at Eastern Europe and you go, okay, what, what is a cool motorsport uh, that resonates with our brand? You know, that's uh communicated quite effectively like supercross in America. Right. So when you look at Eastern, Eastern Europe, for instance, uh, the Nordics, uh, that one sport obviously is soccer. Yeah. Right. That's the, you know, but, but that's not, that's not us. At least it's not us for right now. Uh, not to say that soccer isn't cool. Soccer's cool. That's great. That's just, it's just not a category that we're in, you know, uh, maybe, maybe one day we will, maybe not. So we look at Speedway and Speedway you is guys pre- are in golf. Uh, well, no, we're not in the sport. No, no, no. It's an athlete, but it's, it's kind of cool. And that, no, we've had and that is the same way we, we, you know, I think is, is a good way is to get involved with individuals um, in other sports than getting involved in the sport itself. Maybe the sport's too mainstream. Maybe it just doesn't fit our, our marketing scheme or, or whatever it may be. So anyway, Speedway was a, was a category that was cool. Motorsports, you know, it, it, we had it here in Costa Mesa, you know, um, you know, I had a relationship with Bruce Penhall at this time now. Uh, and, and it's just, uh, our CEO, uh, when he had sent me over to Europe, uh, basically said, Hey, you know, look at Speedway. We think that's pretty big in, in, in Poland and Eastern Europe. And so I looked into it and, uh, and, and yeah, I called, called Bruce, you know, and, and Bruce had mentioned me, Greg, you know, and, and, and that's how our path probably connected in 2011 or so yeah, roughly. Oh yeah. Yeah. That was when we first connected. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of that came through Bruce and so forth. Uh, and then it just kind of made more sense to get involved at the GP level. Uh, however we can, you know, and, uh, so I had managed to get a contact, uh, into, into IMG BSI. And, uh, we ended up, you know, being able to negotiate a, a comfortable commercial deal that's worked out. I think great for us. It's worked out great. Well, I would hope to say the fans are happy yeah. with what we've done for the sport. Um, some fans are not happy with the, how much maybe success we've had with it. Uh, we've been very blessed, you know, uh, with the success of it, but I would, you know, attribute that really to the fans in general that are receptive to our brand in their, in their, in their space, in their sport. Um, and so it's been a great, great relationship. And, uh, 
you know, it's an ongoing relationship. That's and, how, do you, how do you see the future? How, what can you do more to for the sport and and that you can well, gain from I mean, it too? Well, I mean, I think there are there are there are limits and thresholds to what you can and cannot do. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there are there are tweaks and balances that you can make, providing that the the environment is receptible to that. You know, um, there are a lot of rules. I think you you, you might want to change as a rider. There's a lot of rules that you might want to change as a fan. Uh, and not always everybody's going to be pleased. And a lot of the changes, you know, might be positive towards one fan, but negative towards a majority or vice versa. So uh, you have to just kind of tweak and balance, I think, to, to find out what what's going to work. And, and, you know, some of the things that, you know, I'd like to see, you know, especially within the within the GP aspect of it is more onboard cameras, uh, more fan interaction, for sure. Uh, things, you know, that, that work, you know, uh, good locations, uh, good tracks, you know, healthy riders, mm. um, those types of things I think is only going to make the sport good. You know, when, when you, you know, you look at this case, for instance, Greg yourself being out of the sport, majority of the series, uh, Niels was out majority. Nikki was out, you know, love him or hate him. He's an, he's an icon. He's a character within the sport. Um, that obviously affects ticket sales, hmm. you know, uh, when the heroes aren't in the sport, you know, even though we had a great year of racing and we have new heroes this year, Jason Doyle, I mean, rightfully so, you know, he, he dominated it. Absolutely. Um, but at the same time, you want the, the current, the current heroes to be there to help sell tickets and build it up. And, and, you know, some sports don't retain that. Some sports retain that. And that's a balance of what you have, you know, uh, having healthy riders, you know, whether it's a, you know, a rider that we endorse or, or, or our enemy or our competitor. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's always good to have healthy riders. Uh, and that's what this sport, we need to figure out a way to keep those riders healthy. So that's a change. You know, when you go back, what would I see the changes is, is some way, you know, to, to not take away from the racing. Mm-hmm. We always want to keep it, you know, fast and dangerous and on the edge because, that's what it's all about, you know. For sure, man. I want yeah. I want to smell that engine. I want to see the rubber burn. I want to see, you know, I want to see the crashes. Yeah, I want to see the the trials and the, the highs and the lows and you know the controversial aspect. You know, and have a little uh, dirt in here at the end of the night, and have a little dirt in here at the end of the night. Yeah, but 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 most and foremost, I want to see a bunch of healthy riders. So how can how can the sport? You know, the sport has obviously from when you started, from when Bruce has started, a lot safer. Yeah, oh, for sure. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. You look at NASCAR, it's a lot safer. Have so, you had an active part in that? Uh, no, no, we haven't. I mean, some of those mechanisms, uh, I think, uh, are FIM level. Mm-hmm. That's not our place. That's not our space. Uh, we're not there to, to do that, but we will help if we're asked to. We will contribute to resources to, mm-hmm. uh, but we are, we're not there to, to, to do that for the sport. I think that's what the, the, the organizers are there, the sanctioning bodies, FIM, you know, and that's what FIM is there for is when they put their approval, their stamp on an event, you know, typically a lot of those good things have, you know, safety rules and regulations are at the forefront of the event. Uh, yeah. You know, some other events might not have that and safety is compromised, you know, and, yeah. and then, then the athlete, you know, ends up getting injured or the, you know. I think it's cool too, because nowadays it feels suddenly that, the the organizers and the the sanctioning body the FIM have a better collaboration with the riders oh. and are starting to listen uh, and 
at least giving us an opinion so we can say, hey, we feel that this should be changed, yeah. this should be altered, this could be better. I'm not saying it's got to happen today, but tomorrow would be really cool because yeah. it's only going to make things better for everyone. And we need we need to have an open dialogue. So it feels like it's slowly but surely is is starting to get a little bit more elastic that we're able to to do that. And um, by doing so, you have a much better relationship overall, in my opinion. Yeah. I think that's kind of a cool comment from you. I mean, that wasn't what I was, was expecting. It was like, it's got to be raw and cool and, you know. But well, it, at the end of the day, <laughs> at the end of the day, in order to make it raw and cool at a consistent level, mm-hmm. all the players must be able to play. That's right. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So right. you got you to gotta find that, that, that line, you know, that balance. Uh, and safety needs to really be at the forefront of of how do we achieve that balance amen you know yeah in any sport not just speedway in any sport you know um, if the show's going to continue it's got to continue with healthy and safety put in mind that's cool <laughs> have, have you tried speedway yourself uh, i have given it a couple years? turns here and there you know <laughs> i think we played at the molilla dirt track one time on that bike of ours and I think I, I played with, with Tomas Golab uh, in That's Big Gosh. Road, yeah. uh, he let me play on his bike for a little bit. Um, for a little bit? Uh, yeah. Uh, you know, I, 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 I love BMX bikes. I love dirt bikes. Um, but uh, I've learned to to really enjoy having a, a vehicle with a cage over me. Oh, yeah. Uh, I feel much safer, <laughs> you know, uh, things of such. Everybody, everybody over here says if you're from the dirt bike industry, then they – as you get more advanced in your life, they, yeah. they say the cage comes with age. Yes. Ah, yeah, yeah. That's it. It's not cool to drool. <laughs> <laughs> so I would say I, I prefer, you know, off-road type. All right. Uh, enjoyment. The cool thing is he got to try a speedway bike with Thomas Golub. I, yeah. I have to elaborate on this because yeah. Thomas Golub, for those who don't know Thomas, is like the huge icon in the world. Still for me, it's probably the best speedway rider I've ever seen on a motorcycle. He's so flamboyant. He's like everything that he does. I studied with a fine tooth comb because it's just no matter if he's a competitor or not, you know, he's guys. Sure. He's 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 an amazing, you know, individual on on his craft for sure. And he's a very closed guy. So he's very difficult to get close to, to get to know. And that doesn't mean he's a bad guy. He's actually a great guy, but it's only a fair few people that actually get a chance to get close to him and get to know him a little bit. And Joe's one of those guys. Yeah, I spent so. three three seasons with Tomasz and, uh, and 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 his manager Tomasz Gazinski, mm-hmm. um, who's become a, a I would say a good mentor in a way mm-hmm. to, to to bounce ideas and questions off, uh, specifically within the Polish community of Speedway, mm-hmm. and the politics and all that stuff that get involved. Um, and work with them for three years. We were, we were a, a big sponsor of, of Tomasz's. Um, we had a great time and it was great to see him come from a closed person, at least with myself uh, and having to, you know, I don't speak Polish. He doesn't speak much English. You know what I mean? So it was almost like, uh, you know, you put it back in like some barbaric days. It's almost like a couple apes trying to figure shit out. <laughs> Sign language. <laughs> a lot of ooh, ooh, ah, 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 ah yeah. <laughs> ah, ah, yeah. Yeah. So it was, uh, it was the modern ape dance, you know. Yeah. Uh, it was good, you know. Uh, we figured it out. And uh, in the end, you know, that, that door opened up more and more. And 
you might have noticed it, him doing, you know, hanging out with us, the more signing sessions, yeah. you know, and, and, and a little bit of his personality coming out little by little. It was cool to be part of that. And one of those moments was, you know, him pushing me on his, you know, his bike yeah. in Bitgosh, where he's off. from at the Bitgosh track. He's in his Kevlar's and steel steel shoe. I'm in my vans. <laughs> of course. <laughs> <laughs> and he had his helmet on. Yeah, I had a helmet on. Yeah. Had my vans, some jeans. No gloves. No gloves? No. No steel shoe. But you have a helmet anyway. I had a helmet, yeah, yeah, absolutely. No gloves. No elbow pads. You know, I think I was wearing like a windbreaker. It's confidence. Yeah. <laughs> But it did slide. You get it to not particularly. No, I was uh, just a matter of. I think I went around the, the track maybe maybe three four times and felt the 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 the, the acceleration. You know, on the straights and then backed her off in the in the turns and then kicked it up on the straights and backed it off in the turns. I, and, I read some somewhere that that the speedway bike is accelerates faster than a effort car, an F one car from from one to to a hundred. Yeah, I would say, I mean, it's hard to, to really probably measure that, yeah. you know, 100%. Um, but yeah, definitely, hard to believe, definitely yeah. the, the, the weight to power ratio, oh. you would, on I think a mathematical, you know, scheme would say yes. All right. Uh, but then you have the traction variables and things exactly. of such that you have to vary in that F1 car, you know. It is go. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, sure. Then if they got their tires warm before they get to take yeah. off and, you know, mm -hmm. but yeah. it, it seems, right. it doesn't seem how that could be possible. However, I mean, the speeder bike does accelerate pretty quick. Yeah. But mm -hmm. I, David, I saw David Coulthard did a cool thing with, um, what's his name? The Isle of Man dude. McGinnis. No, not McGinnis. It wasn't him. Oh, I can't believe I'm free. Uh, Dunlop. No, not Jerry Dunlop. Oh, this is bad. Okay. <laughs> anyway, there was a really cool reportage that they did, and Coulthard is is doing a like three different events, and it's basically uh, from a standing start to a certain point to see which one was quicker, and then it's one in like a slalom to see which one was quicker, and then they do a few laps on the track, and Coulthard has to let him go on the bike mm. and take off and do a few laps, and he's got to lap him, I think, once or twice. Oh, I think period. I did see something like this, and I feel so bad that I'm forgetting his name. It's just it's. It's on the tip of my tongue. But anyway, it was rad if you ever look it up and and uh, see what they did. I just thought it was a cool comparison. Mm -hmm. And you get a, a real good idea. So it's really tough to think how yeah. a speeder bike could be quicker. But mm -hmm. being a speeder rider, I'd like to say it's true. I mean, yeah. speedway bikes are quick for sure. Yeah. There's no doubt about it. You know, no gears, no brakes, 500cc engine, burning methanol. Yeah. So yeah. It looks mean, cool. Yeah, it's cool. Yeah. Turn right and go left. <laughs> Doesn't make sense at all. <laughs> right. No? Yeah. At no, all. No. Yeah. So, well, you know what? I mean, uh, there's, we realized that there is somebody behind Monster Joe and uh, there's a Joe Parsons and you heard it all from Joe's, right from Joe's mouth. Yeah. And uh, we had a, another question for you, but I don't think it's going to work because he pretty much answered that question. Yeah. We wanted, we had one cool. final question. We were going to give you like 45 seconds. Mm -hmm. We have a segment that maybe you've heard it. I don't know if you've heard mm -hmm. it before where we ask you like as many questions, random okay. questions as you can within 45 seconds. Yeah. But we wanted in 45 seconds for Joe Parsons to tell everybody something we didn't know about him. Yeah. And I have, I've told you a lot so far. Huh? <laughs> um, in 45 seconds. I, I mean, in, in 45 seconds that someone doesn't know much about or doesn't really, or didn't know about me. Okay. 45 seconds. Let's see. 
Are you ready? Hang on. We got we to get the timer. We have to do this in 45 seconds. We have to follow the guidelines. Yeah, the guidelines. If so we don't do it, we're like bad. 45 seconds or less. 45 seconds or less. To, to, to tell all you listeners out there something you haven't, that you, the, don't, that, you, that you don't know about me and we haven't discussed this already. Yeah. And this yeah. is something we don't know about Joe Parsons, okay. not Monster Joe. Okay. Exactly. Yeah. Well, I, I didn't become Monster Joe until I started working for Monster. So anything prior to Monster was not Monster Joe. Right. Exactly. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you ready? Yeah. Let's start. 1983. Uh, some of you guys might have not known this, but um, I actually was a break dancer and I used to break dance for Vans Tennis Shoes. Oh. And uh, we actually, uh, every Wednesday nights, would actually go up to the Disneyland Hotel and put on small shows. Um, and then uh, randomly also, I'd be down at a big John Tall in Compton and uh, hanging out with all the, the individuals that did the break dance right around probably if you remember the movie Breaking. Breaking? Yeah. Yeah, it was a breakdance movie that was out, and uh, that's what I did. Wow. Cool. Say no more. You don't need 45 <laughs> seconds. <laughs> that was cool. Great answer. Yeah, so we just... Can we see some proof of that? <laughs> that's I'm, I'm a bit rusty at these days. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, hey, Joe Parsons, Monster Joe. Yeah. Thanks for giving us some time, and... Uh, we enjoyed, I, I always enjoy rapping with you, but now Stefan got to know you and, and I think all, all the people that are listening to this, they get to know a little something more about you. So we're, we're stoked that you would give us that time. Well, it's, a, it's an honor to be here and hopefully everyone enjoys the, the, the words of, of what we spoke about and um, make sure if this, uh, you guys can uh, follow us on the Dakar, the Dakar journey that's coming up. Uh, Dakar.com is probably an easy site, you know, you can go to. Okay. I think one of the big sports networks here in, in, in the U.S., um, NBC Sports, I think, they cover a, a one-hour show every day starting from January 6th through January 20th. Uh, we'll be in uh, Lima, Peru. Then we'll make our way into Bolivia, into the capital of La Paz, where we'll end up in uh, Argentina in a town called Córdoba on the 20th. And then uh, and then we'll pack it all up and then make our way back, back home. Uh, but it's a, something to, an amazing journey to follow. Um, we have an American writer, Ricky Brabeck, mm-hmm. who, uh, who's one to watch, and uh, which would be great to uh, represent uh, Stars and Stripes in, the, in a big rally like the Dakar. As we know from you, this is a big year, right? So, Yeah, this is the 40th celebration of the Dakar rally. Um, this will be my ninth Dakar uh, attending. Um, so for me, it's, it's, it's definitely become a way of life. I plan all year long. For the Dakar, I get ready for the Dakar all year long. Uh, we race in various countries all year long, planning and preparing and understanding logistics and and, uh, and what works and what doesn't. Um, packing your clothes, you know, all that stuff. You have to get pretty efficient, you know, when you're on the road that many days, and you got to make sure everything's going to be clean and and, and fresh. Uh, in this type of a race, this is the Formula One racing of off road. So we, we are partnered with Honda as our primary partner. Uh, you know, Honda is a big corporation. They run a very, very uh, smooth operating, you know, product environment type shift. Uh, Honda products are a polished premium product. Um, so our work environment on a daily basis has to re- you know, represent uh, the cleanliness uh, of, of, of that organization and that brand. Obviously the same as Monster. Um, so everything has to have a place. Uh, everything has to be efficient. Everything has to be clean. Uh, you know, you're working on greasy, dirty motorcycles, but the floor isn't greasy and dirty. 
That's cool. But, and, the, and the best way to follow your guys is... Uh, the easiest way is going to be Dakar.com. Uh, you could probably go to their YouTube channel. I thought that you were saying Monster Energy to come. Well, so then, well, we are not we are not a sponsor of the race. Oh. Okay. Now, now we 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 sponsor race teams, and of course, we will be putting out uh, communication imagery on a daily basis on MonsterEnergy.com, on Monster Energy's Instagram, on our Facebook, on our Twitter account, any of those social channels. But if you want to follow the race itself as a whole, as an outsider, you're probably best best to go to, to Dakar.com uh, or to Dakar, the YouTube channel, where their TV show, uh, every day they put out a 25-minute a, a video that gets fed into 190 countries. Wow. Yeah, so we broadcast to 190 countries, the Dakar does. And uh, that same show that gets broadcasted, gets put up on the, on the YouTube channel the day, the day after. So you can get a lot of the stuff that's all in Eurosport and all that stuff, you know, it's pretty good. That's pretty cool. Yeah. And the, fi the final thing is you mentioned about this race has been won by KTM. For yeah. 16, years. 17 years. KTM has dominated, uh, this, this space. And, uh, it would be very, very, very great news to, to make 2018 the 40th celebration of the Dakar rally to be the year that Honda, takes the, the the victory lane can they absolutely mathematical our riders everybody i mean i mean it, it's almost like supercross in a way uh, the doors open you know it's a long race right. you know you could be the most mentally fit physically fit get out the best equipment but you know you have to you know does mother nature throw you that ace card you know what i mean uh did you prepare for the unexpected because uh that's what's going to take to win this race um, and it's not a race. It's a, it's a, it's a marathon, yeah. you know? Uh, uh, and, and yeah, why do people do it? Why do rate, why do people want to go through? It's an adventure. It's like, why does someone want to climb the Himalayas? Right. Yeah. Right. There's a, there's, there's a bug up there. Yeah. And that bites you. Yeah. And it, it, it keeps bringing you back. You, you enjoy that, that bite. That's why uh, unleash and, the beast. And that's that mm -hmm. car is yeah. the journey, the adventure, the, the logistical planning that goes involved, it's more than a race, you know, and what you learn from it, uh, in some cases, you can plan better in your own life. You can organize things easier uh, because you've th got, got, got the whole kitchen sink thrown at you, you know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, but your whole life story yeah. you just told us was all about that from yeah. what yeah. you started with yeah. and all the different things you have to do to, to mm -hmm. learn how to be timely and organized. Yeah. And, to get to that point so you can see why you're the guy doing the job today so well, i'm just i'm i'm very blessed i'm very grateful every day I'm, I'm very very grateful to be a kid coming from orange county not the formal education that a lot of people might 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 have um you know i didn't i didn't excel in that department uh but but i guess where i was very fortunate is to to, to be where i am today and to you know have my 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 my, my road maps have crossed certain individuals and uh you take pieces from that you know and uh and luckily for me you know those pieces uh, became a puzzle that's it life lesson <laughs> yeah joe safe travels man yeah happy new year yeah thank and, you uh, stay successful absolutely we'll just we'll keep doing what we're doing you got it see you soon bro 
Welcome to Real 45 with Stefan and Greg Hancock. We vibe out and have real talk, so tune in and check this out. Yeah, today is a new day. Let's seize it now and get hype. We talking about our careers, our family, and just life. Yeah, share my story with you. Inspiration like every day. Real 45, we gon' keep it live. I keep episodes on replay. Hey, Real 45. Yeah, Real 45. Show them how we do it, man. Yeah.